0: This week on Dig Me
1: Out. Are you trying to add 16 and 13? Yeah, 16 and 13.
2: 20, is that 29? Got We gotta carry the 1 and then divide um, by.
1: Uh, yeah, 29.
2: Yes.
0: Tim and Jay review. Elsewhere for 8 minutes by Something for Kate.
2: Welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Minichi and joining me once again my co-host Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay. It's episode 168 of our fourth season, and would you would you be surprised if I told you it's another requested review? Line them up. We are lining them up and knocking them down. We've had uh, quite a few, and we've got quite a few more to get to. Uh, last year I kind of split them up. Uh, this year I'm not doing that. Like if we get it, we're getting we're getting it done. We're uh, we're not waiting. So give the people what they want, man. Exactly. They, s- they demand a request of reviews. We give them to them.
0: Requested, Requested review. review.
2: This is from uh, someone who submitted a surprisingly uh, good and interesting album that we received last year, Spider Bait, and it was Kim Bowie from Down Under, along with uh, several of our other listeners. And um this time from Kim we get a band called Something for Kate. And their debut record elsewhere for eight minutes. So, Jay, had you ever heard of something for Kate prior to our review?
1: No, not at all.
2: Uh me neither. This was a um a completely new discovery. So it's
1: a very nineties very band name though, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it kinda is. Kinda is. So Kim, like I mentioned, we both liked the previous selection of Spider Bait. Kind of, kind of surprised us. Had a lot of diversity on the record. Lots of things that we weren't expecting to like, but we did, mm-hmm. and um, made our uh, our top fives at the end of the year for for songs um, for both of us. And let's see what happens with something for Kate. Let's start off uh, with, with, with what we always do, and that would be. The History of the Band.
0: History of the Band.
2: Something for Kate formed in Melbourne, Australia by songwriter, vocalist, and guitarist Paul Dempsey. They formed in 1994 and signed to uh, Murmur Records a year later. The original lineup was uh, for this record only. Paul Dempsey, I mentioned, on guitar, vocals, and keyboards. Julian Carroll on bass guitar and Clint Hindemann on drums. Uh, Julian Carroll would end up leaving the band after this record, replaced by Stephanie Ashworth. They formed in 94, signed uh, a record deal a year later, and finally put out their debut album after some singles and such in 1997, and that would be this particular record, Elsewhere for Eight Minutes, came out in 1997. They would follow that up, in 1999 with beautiful sharks and four additional records in the 2000s uh i can't pronounce i don't know how to pronounce this echolalia in 2001 the official fiction in 2003 desert lights in 2006 and leave your soul to science in 2012 in between some of those gaps there were compilations of singles and live albums and various other releases. So this has been a band that's been consistently busy um, since the mid-90s. They've also been consistently successful in Australia. Um, Two of their albums have topped Australia's Aria charts, with three others reaching the top 10. Um, They have 11 Aria Music Awards since 1999. They've toured... Uh, in support of bands such as Pavement, Swerve Driver, Powderfinger, David Bowie, UMI, and have had bands uh, that have supported them that have included Crooked Fingers and a little band from the uh, Pacific Northwest called Death Cab for Cutie. So that's the history of something for Kate. If you would like to suggest an album for us to review... Like Kim did, you can head over to our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com, and there you can find out how you can actually uh, suggest an album for us to take a listen to. So Kim gave us some Facebook feedback on this record. Uh, This is what uh, Kim had to say. I came to their debut late after getting into something for Kate initially on their second and third albums and seeing them live at my first gig when I was 16 years old in 2001 in Brisbane. Uh, so do the math there, Jay. 16 year old in 2001. Uh, I think that makes Kim, let's see, it's 13 years later. So uh, doing the math, 29, 28, 20, 20 <laughs> 29 or 30. I don't know. Were
1: you, uh, you trying to add 16 and 13?
2: Yeah, 16, 13. 20, is that 29? Got to, we got to carry the one and then divide um, by... Uh,
1: I'm, yeah, I'm, 29.
2: Yes. Elsewhere, and the, uh, I'm going to continue on. Elsewhere has a reputation of being heavier than their later stuff, and this ended up being a barrier for me, giving it a chance, but eventually it became a favorite. It's hard to describe why I like this album so much. The music is great, but I think it's Paul's way with words and how relatable his lyrics are. My favorite tracks are Pinstripe, Captain, Paintbrushes, and Strategy uh, Something for Kate have their 20th anniversary this year but they're still going strong releasing one of their best albums of their career just over a year ago and Gavin Reed chimed in Seems the Aussies have taken over Yes, that appears to be true We could probably uh, splinter off just a Australian version of Dig Me Out that uh, Gavin Reed could host based on the uh, number of Australian bands that we reviewed and then we got some feedback on uh, digmeoutpodcast.com, which is our uh, discuss thread, which you can always hop on there and leave some comments for our uh, episodes on there as well. Stephen Frazier, previous commenter. Another great pick, guys. I discovered this band on Last FM. The lead singer kind of reminds me of Gavin Rossdale from Bush and Places on this album. The album sits well with. Other overshadowed post grunge bands from the mid 90s, mid and late 90s, like Psyched Up Janice and Orangutan, two bands I have never heard of, but Mm -hmm. perhaps they're either UK or um, Australian bands. Have you heard of those bands, Jay? No. 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 Do you think they're
1: Australian or?
2: I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, And he listed his top tracks as Captain, Paintbrushes, and Working Against Me. So two of his three picks were also the words. Think, yeah, we're we're also uh, Kim's picks, so uh, some similarities in their picks for why they like this record. So as I mentioned, this is the only record that um, the original bass player Julian Carroll plays on. And uh, one other note, the producer of this record was Brian Paulson. Now, if you don't know who Brian Paulson is, uh, he is a record producer from Minnesota, and we also worked um, with. Uh, Steve Albini, um, had some friends in Chicago and, uh, ended up producing, uh, recording, I should say, uh, the final album from Slint, which is Spiderland, which is kind of a legendary indie album, uh, from the nineties. He also worked on albums, uh, since then by Magnapop, Beck, Archers of Loaf, Dinosaur Jr., Polvo, Squirrel Nut Zippers. Squir- uh, Super Chunk, The Rosebuds, Crooked Fingers, Mark Eitzel, and Uncle Tupelo, Sunvolt, and Wilco. So he's got a pretty good resume, Mr. Brian Paulson. I think he actually played on some of the Wilco or Sunvolt stuff, I'm not sure. Or maybe it was the Uncle Tupelo. But we're not here to talk about Brian Paulson, we're here to talk about something for Kate. Their debut record from 1997, Elsewhere for 8 Minutes. Jay, let's talk. Let's go. This is a 12-song record. I think we could do What I Like, What I Didn't Like about this record. I think that'd be a fair way to approach this one rather than go track by track. you agree? Uh, We can do that. Okay. Let's start with What I Liked. Uh, Let's bounce this back and forth instead of us pontificating for five minutes at a piece. So the first thing that I like, Jay, is the music on this record. I when I, the first time I listened to it I was like okay this is kind of standard 90s alt rock. And then I listened to it again and I was like oh well that's a weird thing that they're doing with the time or the you know the they're doing some sort of syncopation with that drum beat on that one song that's kind of and then I listened to it and I'm like those are weird chords what are those chords that they're playing and I started to like peel back the layers on this record and realize this is a pretty complex although poppy album as far as the music. Did you pick up on that?
1: I did. I would say um, at a glance, it sounds very familiar. I don't know if I'd use the word poppy, but I would say fairly expected for 90s alt rock. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you're right. The thing I like about it is, you know, on a a deeper dive, second, third, and and the more you listen to it, you start to reveal, you know, you start to peel the onion and realize that there's a lot of really cool things going on rhythmically chord wise a lot of interplay between textures dynamics so yeah i think that's probably for me the one of the biggest things that i like ended up liking about this record
2: so uh, to play off of that and getting into actual songs on the record um both kim and steven mentioned the song captain which is uh paraphrased million miles an hour so that was like the lead single from this album, and it was also the, I guess, the biggest single from this record. It's actually still a song that's fairly popular um, with the band's fan base. I was reading a review of a concert they played last year, and that's the song that they played to open the uh, the concert. And it totally mm. makes sense when you listen to the way that song builds, which is sort of unusual for a single because it takes uh, like a minute and ten seconds to get oh, to the yeah. vocal. But when you think about it as a concert opener,
0: mm-hmm.
2: okay, that's that that makes sense because you build that tension up to you know one first the guitar coming in and then the rest of the band sort of building all up before the vocal gets to it. second thing that i like about that song is it has this weird thing going on where he cuts off the drummer and the the band cut off like the last i think like half beat of each measure so it has this weird syncopation going on Mm -hmm. um which when you when you have a, a a song like that you can either draw attention to it with the vocal or the vocal can sort of like float over top of it so you not don't necessarily go oh this is a song with a weird drum beat. And he's able to sing over top of it in a way that doesn't necessarily bring attention yeah. to it. And I like that.
1: I would go so far as to say that the rhythmic experimentation playfulness sort of what they do rhythmically actually helps save the vocal. Because I think at times the vocal can be it can be Gavin Rossdale esque, right? It can yeah. be kinda of like Bush. It but the way that it interplays with those rhythms and some of the chords it it actually gives it this like it almost gives it more melody than what's actually there like he's kind of limited in what his range is melodically he's not really going very far he's not doing anything complicated it's pretty once you get to sort of the you know his delivery familiar with his delivery it becomes almost predictable Mm -hmm. what isn't predictable is how it intertwines with the music there's always surprises and I think some of the phrasings that happen between him, you know, kind of putting his voice between these spots and in these certain places and what's going on musically, that's where I think the special and unique, you know, kind of thing happens. So it goes from sounding like, you know, a Bush song where he kind of sings like this, but they don't do anything musically that interesting to almost at times feeling like somebody like Shiner, where mm-hmm. you know, it's a really really capable, almost prog oriented, um, alt rock band. And, um, you know, the, the, with them, the vocals, the same kind of thing, like great voice, but not a lot in terms of melody, not a lot going on there. It's kind of, you know, pretty straightforward and, um, simple, but the way it interplays is what makes it special.
2: Yeah. And you get that sort of same cool interplay on a song like uh, prick, which has this almost like Chavez sort of guitar stuff going on with uh, like harmonics and and his vocal, again, it does approach that like Gavin Rossdale territory, which from reading, I think it it gets toned down as the band progresses. Um, He sort of develops his own voice. This was again, another one where the guitar playing just sort of like wowed me. And when you realize that it's the same person singing and playing guitar, um, and, and some of the weird riffs that are going on that aren't necessarily, you know, from having played guitar and tried to sing at the same time, it's not necessarily easy when you have yeah. these like weird rhythms that are going on to, to to fit your vocal as you're trying to sing over top of them. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't so, even thought about that. Yeah.
1: I hadn't even like in my mind been picturing, you know, the gymnastics that it may take to um, to do both those parts because they are at times, I don't want to say disjointed, but, you know, he's not on top of the guitar. He's not just following it. You know, he's accenting himself, which is interesting. And that's a song where you know, the verses are nice, but they could be you know, they sort of border in that bush territory, that generic sort of alt-rock territory. But then when they get to the chorus, there's that you know, really Mm -hmm. fast sort of strumming part, and then they go to double time and like, they go into places that Bush would never go. It, you know, it gets almost progressive or borderline experimental, you know, or Chavez or somebody like that, you know, where it's yeah. a little bit avant-garde and, um, you know, pushing, pushing things a little bit further. And that's where the surprises happen. And that's what, you know, in, in the case of a song like that, which is um, also one of my favorites is uh that's where that happens. Yeah. Something else I, I like that you hear in both of these songs we've touched on here is that um, they have a heavy feel to them. They have a thick, but they're not overly distorted, and they're not yeah they're not overly like rushed. They're very like kind of in casual, kind of you know not totally not not laid back, but somewhere like just just pushing a little bit. What's really cool about that is that they're able to do that without using a ton of distortion, without feeling rushed or manic, or uh, there's a tent, they, they can interweave tension in when, I, when they want to in both of these songs, but they just do it in a different kind of, they do it with dynamics and just chord placement, you know, and his voice a little bit and his phrasing. And they do it with different. Uh, techniques than what you're, you know, you typically would use. They don't just kick on a distortion pedal, or they don't just you know use a really heavy guitar sound. They play with other ingredients to achieve um, the same end, which is which is kind of refreshing.
2: Also made me think of bands like No Knife or uh, Arches of Loaf, as, yeah. as you know in which is a weird territory because if you had told me musically that this was a band, this was like a Post-hardcore or emo band from you know the late nineties, I'd be like, oh okay, but this is not. I mean, this is a an Australian rock band essentially, um, with some maybe some influence from those sorts of genres, but they're not. It, this this is in the same vein in terms of, I think, it, and Gavin and Kim can tell me if I am wrong, but I think they're kind of lumped in with like UMI, which I don't consider to have those sorts of traits. Mm-hmm. or a scream feeder or you know one of those kinds of sorts of bands
1: yeah i mean i think but bo- to me both of those bands are a little bit more geared towards writing um in a pop song format and mm-hmm. you know, then rock you know there's still verse, course verse kind of things and this band is it's in a weird place yeah, they're a little bit in a in an awkward place there's times when it feels like they're that kind of band but they have these tendencies to do long intros and weird bridges and you know, obviously, all the things we talked about with the time signatures and the syncopation. And so they have these tendencies to kind of be experimental or progressive, yet there are um, ingredients that I would say are sections of music where it seems like they are trying to still be, you know, a, a pop oriented kind of band or write those types of
2: songs. And in terms of other songs that worked uh, working against me is another one. Just a cool guitar riff, again with him doing you know the vocal duty on top of it, which is pretty cool. But has these just like weird chords, and I don't know if it's a tuning thing, if he's t- if he's tuned to an odd tuning, or 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 if it's just him playing weird, you know, not just playing major or minor chords, but throwing in some some oddball uh, fingerings in there, but. It's, it's a cool riff and it has like a sort of a swing to it, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, they don't necessarily use a lot on a lot of the. There's a lot of tempo changes on the record, but this one has kind of a propulsion to it that some of the other songs don't necessarily have.
1: It's uh, I, I, it's also an example of he might be capoed on this song. I, I don't know, but you know his guitar's a little bit more fuzzed out, but his voice is very raspy and pretty, you know, in the lower end. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. really sing high ever, and it, it, they do a good job, even when they in a song like this where they fuzz out the guitar, of allowing figuring out like w- what chords and what keys to be playing in so that his voice can sit sit separate from that stuff so like even in this song where it's you know it's got a little bit of that fuzz it doesn't like get in the way of his voice and on a song like glass timing and a lot of the others on here they go for even uh just a cleaner uh, like uh, more shimmery kind of guitar sound mm-hmm. almost like in the neighborhood of, it kind of you know none of is a good example like they're a band that uh you know tuned weird and right i think they tuned way higher they, they actually the tuned
2: up higher. yeah instead of so bands were tuning down like drop D or tuning down a full step or something like that, whereas No Knife, I believe, tuned, tuned up a step. Mm-hmm.
1: This band almost has that kind of, I don't know if they're doing that for sure, but they definitely, with their choices of both tone and uh, where they're playing at on the guitar, they definitely um, have that feel, and they've, they've figured out how to make sure that you know his voice, which is good, you know, you, in the songs where things get out of the way, you can really appreciate it. It's a really interesting, you know, kind of coarse textured voice and they just do a good job of keeping out, you know, keeping it, uh, giving its own space.
2: Anything else you want to highlight for what you liked?
1: I liked that they, I guess in the same theme, they avoided, there's a couple spots, maybe like track one where they get a little too, like almost too heavy and you can start to see like why that doesn't work for them. Mm hmm. Um, But for most of the rest of the record, they avoid that. And even a song like The Last Minute, there's a part in there uh, based on the chords and sort of the phrasing where it's like, if they did it the way a lot of bands would have done it, like used more distortion and just been more like turned everything up dynamically, they would have ended up sounding kind of like a prong almost. (laughs) You know, they would have became a different brand. And I just like that they stay very restrained in, in the best possible way. Like you can tell they can go there if they want to. And there's moments where they almost do, but they just keep pulling it back, you know, and just standing in a very kind of confident, unique place in terms of volume and just overall, um, I guess, presentation.
2: In terms of what you didn't like, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll start out with one thing that I found cons- that consistently bothered me with this record was the volume of the vocal. Um, I think he I think he does have sort of an interesting you know raspiness and and rawness going on but at times it felt like the vocal was way louder than the music in relation to where it should be almost like a pop record and this is not necessarily a pop this isn't a pop record this is there aren't big hooks to sink your teeth into there are some catchy parts but you know this isn't pretty spears this is a rock record and I felt like the vocal got put up front way too much and it particularly hurt the slow songs and I'm thinking of like strategy which I know that Kim mentioned that as being one of his favorites but I found that to be besides the fact that it's almost six minutes long just having the vocal that loud for that long just sort of grated on me
1: that didn't necessarily bother me I see where you're going though I guess to add to that that with the vocals so up front, I think that's part of the, the you know the first perception of the record that we both had, where it was you're so focused on it that you kind of write off the music, and then mm-hmm. as you dig deeper, you realize that there's all of this really interesting, great music underneath this voice, and you know that that has a lot to do with the production of the record. I will say that that segment of the record, strategy, roll credit, and like bank robbers, is probably the the span of the record I like the least. So yeah, I don't think they do. I don't think they do the ballad thing very well. It's okay. I could take one of them, but I felt like there's sort of three in a row there and just, they're all pretty long, um, not well placed. Melodically, I grew tired of it pretty fast. Um, I really think they need a little bit more tempo to help, you know, kind of do the riffing and the syncopation stuff and get that locked up with the vocal for it all to work successfully for me. Um, Not to say there's not some nice moments on there and, you know, lyrics and strategy are kind of nice and I'm assuming that's why, you know, responding to it so well. There's some cool stuff on Bank Robbers with they bring in strings in a really Mm -hmm. interesting way and not a kind of cheesy way. It's more of a unexpected, I guess, in terms of the notes they play and stuff. I would say that's probably my least segment, favorite segment of the record. And uh, to add on to that, the other thing I probably would say it's a weakness across the entire record. It's just, there's no killer hooks. There's no, no. there's no, there's not even really a memorable chorus for me. That's why I said they're kind of in this weird space because for somebody like Shiner, like you don't expect that. So that's not a requirement. When you listen to one of the records, you're not going to get a big chorus You you get it going in and that's not what their music's about. But there's something about this record between what you mentioned with the production And how some of the songs are formatted, it's almost like you're expecting one. And then when it doesn't happen, you're left feeling like, you know, incomplete or the song's not as good as it should have been. So I'm a little conflicted because I felt myself in that position of like expecting it. But then I'm sitting there thinking, well, they kind of went to a part on some of these songs. They go to a chorus part that's really interesting musically or they could go to a bridge that's really cool it just doesn't have the hook. And, you know, I can almost forgive it. You know, sometimes not all music has to have that. And sometimes you can be just as interesting if you just go to another part that's musically, you know, unexpected and cool. So, I, I don't know. I struggle with that aspect of the record a little bit myself.
2: Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned about, you know, uh, across the board, there not really being many hooks. It, I mentioned that I didn't like strategy, and that's the one song where I actually remember what his vocal is, which is not a good thing necessarily <laughs> because i i'm remembering it because it was annoying me yeah. and you're right like and there are records where okay you don't need a vocal hook on every song or mm-hmm. even most of the record to, to get by because the music is carrying it and the vocals are just another instrument you know a part of the a part of the band yeah and shiner is a perfectly good example they're not there aren't vocal hooks to sink your teeth into but they create an interesting enough melody that the guitar riffs and the and the drum and bass play off of each other and create these essentially musical hooks mm-hmm. that you that you remember you go oh that's the riff to that one song that 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 riff is awesome or you know whatever yeah that's just not what this band is about and you know it's a debut record from what i you know read in the in the history of the band they scored a lot of um, uh, hits hit records after this, and you know maybe the songwriting became a little bit more refined, and they were able to find the hooks a little bit easier. Um, it's not to say the songs aren't good; it's just that I, like you, was not necessarily finding them particularly memorable. It was more the guitar riffs I would hear and go, "Oh, that's this song yeah. again."
1: Yeah, it's a it's a weird um, it's a weird spot they're in. I'm assuming they skewed uh, towards more of the pop format. After this, I can only assume if they had hits because, <laughs> you know, the other way around, you're not going to have hits. You might have a long career and old fans and make some great records, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get on the radio. So I'm assuming right. you must have gone the other direction and, and really um, trimmed things up and, and honed that. But uh, I'll have to check the rest of the catalog out, the catalog out to to know for sure.
2: Yeah, I am curious as well. I'm also curious, Jay, what your final wrap up on this entire record and rating is going to be is it a worthy album would it be a better EP or is it just a decent single
1: oh wow I'm so conflicted on this one if I said album there would have to be a ton of editing to happen now I can't Mm -hmm. say that uh, this is this is not 12 strong songs this is probably somewhere in the 6 to 8 range yep (laughs) So, I don't know what that makes it. I'll, I'll go with an EP. If I'm wishy-washy, then I should probably be saying EP. Um, I think this is a really compelling band. I think There's some talent, obviously some talent here, and there's some point of view that's pretty refreshing. But at the same point, there's enough here familiar to kind of, you know, at least initially get you on board. So. Um, it's definitely would make for a strong EP and probably a lot more exploration of, of the catalog to see where this band goes through their, their long career.
2: And I'm right there with you. I'm at about seven songs that I marked as liking, so I'm I'm at a, probably an EP for this record as well. And like you, it's it's towards the end of the record where I just kept going. is this the end of the record? Isn't this the, isn't this the last song? No, there's wait, yeah. there's one more. Oh wait, there's one more. uh this, to me, could be a really, really strong eight or nine or even ten song album. But then the individual songs probably need a little bit of a trim because there there are a lot of four minute plus songs that are a little bit on the fatty side. They can yeah. just a little bit of trimming to make them a little it, more urgent sounding.
1: It, yeah, it definitely sounds like a band who just came out of the rehearsal studio, you know, that <laughs> hasn't really given a ton of thought to um, how do we get this? How do we? condense this down how do we get to the point we're trying to get to in the in the most um efficient manner possible They they haven't gone through that yet this is sort of oh this this part's fun to play and let's add this intro that's kind of cool so and
2: and that's not to say that like a song like captain i mentioned earlier which has the long intro it it works for that song because it builds up the song Mm -hmm. and i'm fine with that but there are these there are some other songs like soundcheck uh, which is like 612, and in Bank Robbers, which is 526, and Pinstripe, which is like 610. I think there there's some opportunity to, to trim those down a little bit and make them so that I want to listen to them repeatedly yeah. as opposed to, yeah. well, this is an album track.
1: Yeah, there there could be um, a lot more variety in that regard. So like a song with like Paintbrushes, to me, that really stood out on the record when I was reviewing it because it gets right to the vocal. And I think it's the only song, you know, one of the, I think it's the only song that does that. All the others have long intros. So while for Captain, the intro thing might really play well into the dynamic they're trying to do. Um, and, and it might be successful at that length. And with that intro, doesn't mean you always have to do that. And in right. fact, in terms of an album, it's kind of nice to, to have some variety, you know, have a, have a couple two minute long songs on here, have a couple where you shake up the the, the format, and you start with the the chorus first, or you start with the vocal first, or you know you start with the big drum part first, or you know it's just um, I would like to see a little bit more variety in that regard, and I think the a lot of this material and the album overall would be a lot more successful.
2: Well, there you have it. That is our review of Something for Kate, their 1997 album. Elsewhere for eight minutes, we need to thank Kim Bowie for suggesting this record. It was uh, one that we did not know about, and we both found some stuff that we liked uh, about elsewhere for 8 Minutes and something for Kate, a band that uh, you can actually go and check out. They're still around, still playing, still putting out records, unlike most of the bands that we review, which have uh, dropped off the face of the earth. If you happen to live in Australia, and I believe they also play in some of the countries uh, nearby, like New Zealand and so forth. Uh, you can go check them out. So we want to thank Kim and uh, if you are interested in submitting a album for us to review, do so over at request a review page on digmeoutpodcast.com. If you like what you heard, uh, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And as always, you can check us out on Radio iO in our music in the music discussion section. And on Stitcher, where uh, you can stream us all of our episodes. So if you don't want to use uh, Podbean or iTunes or whatever other method is there, our Tumblr page as a streamer, you can always go to Stitcher for um, your streaming needs. And uh, that's it. Another one in the books. Jay will be back with another requested review. Just knocking them down, left and right. Boom, boom, boom next week on Dig Me
0: Out Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages paralysis